welcome to another Corin stream. I am your host, Joe Magician, and today we'll be talking about the newly announced Game of Thrones spinoff shows, all three of them. The I gave them their own fun little names. I'm calling them Battlestar Roinar. Um, what is it? Uh, the Wire, Westeros, and Turquoise Sales or Seahorse Sales, because obviously they're uh, they're doing plays on popular shows and putting them in Westeros. So we got those to talk about, break them down, what news there is about them, a little bit of background on them if you don't know what they are, because some of them have really vague descriptions. So a lot of this is guesses. Um, should be a lot of excitement about them. Well, I'm excited about at least some of them, not all. The same for all of the uh, spinoffs that are coming out. Uh, we'll look into what HBO is doing as kind of a general strategy. And then I have set up a tier list. So I don't know if you've seen those things with like S tier, A, B, C, D, F, down to F. I've loaded up the pictures. So probably around the second half of the stream or so, we're going to put that baby up and we're going to rank all six. God help me, there's six of them. Six spinoffs of Game of Thrones and maybe a secret seventh. The one forgot about dun 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 it'd be better if i actually had like soundboards and stuff i should do that i should get soundboards that's what i'll do i'm gonna get soundboards to put on my stream deck thing so i can play sound effects when i need them um as per usual thanks everybody for uh showing up if you guys could absolutely slam that like button at 150 likes for the rest of the stream i'll wear my wizard hat and there's a new wizard hat hang on let me show you other one didn't exactly fit me very well um, it was kind of small. I bought it for very cheaply off Amazon, but I went out and I bought, whoa, see if I can get in frame, a brand new wizard hat off Etsy, Etsy custom made from my huge head. So we got that to look forward to. The thing literally goes shoulder to shoulder. It is a massive hat, but it's very, I was wearing it the other day. It's actually very comfy. And it's like one of those things where I'm like, oh, why do people wear like massive hats like this when they used to be outdoors all the time? I'm like, I get it now. This thing's amazing. <laughs> I wish I could, I wish I wasn't afraid I would sweat into it. I would, uh, I would wear it while I was gardening. This, yes, the stranger show, the seventh show, the one no one talks about. Yeah. Slam the like button up to 150 likes, put that one on uh, 175 likes. Got my, uh, got my, uh, my germ hat here with a lovely emerald turtle. And if we get to 200, um, last time I read, I read an excerpt from the upcoming video. Uh, I'll probably do the same thing to get that recorded and got the quotes recorded. Um, I'm not sure if she's here today, but one of our, one of our lovely mods actually recorded the audio for it for the quotes. Um, I'm not putting that thing in the wash. It's made of felt. I, I think I will destroy it. Also, I got some very intricate um, stitching. Am I doing this podcast alone? Yeah, I am doing the podcast alone. Sometimes I have guests, sometimes not. Um, oh, super chat here from the Disputed Lands. Hi, Matt. Hi, Amanda. How's it going? Uh, please give your description of seeing a 30 foot shadow baby in House of the Dragon. Okay. <laughs> This is a theory of yours, isn't it? No, you were talking about this on Twitter DMs once. You told me about the possibility of like a 30 foot shadow baby. What's the context here? Because <laughs> I definitely forget. Um, I know you have some reasoning for it. God help me. I know there's reasoning behind this. A 30 foot shadow baby in House of the Dragon. Um, oh, I also wanted to say thank you to uh, Danny McKay, who sent a PayPal donation before the stream started saying, happy Saturday. Happy Saturday to you, Danny. Um, I also wanted to get to an email I got during the week uh, that I did not answer, but I was I was going to answer on a live stream because it had to do with last week's stream itself. Uh, and that was from uh, Jeffrey Stern. He sent me an email as a follow up to my takedown of Marwin the Mage and which got some people actually surprisingly mad at me. Like, oh, Marwin's the best. How, how could you say he doesn't he doesn't know what he's talking about? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, 
okay. I mean, like I made a whole two hour stream about it. Like I think, uh, can probably put the pieces together on why I think what I think. I mean, I'm pretty sure. I um, so, uh, the question from, uh, Jeffrey Stern, they're wondering if Marwin the mage was actually featured in the visions of Makoro and nobody knew it. Uh, so the quotes they gave me were, uh, dragons, Makoro said in the common tongue of Westeros. He spoke it very well with hardly a trace of accent. No doubt that was one reason the high priest Benera had chosen him to bring the faith of Rolor to Daenerys Targaryen. Dragons, old and young, true and false, bright and dark. And you, a small man with a big shadow, snarling in the midst of all. Smarling? <laughs> I, just, I just mispronounced that one really bad. Snarling? An amiable fellow like me? Tyrion was almost flattered, and no doubt that is just what he intends. Every fool loves to hear that he is important. Perhaps it was Penny you saw, or almost of the same size. No, my friend. And uh, Jeffrey goes on to say, I wonder if there was something there. It appears that Tyrion was dubious of what Makoro said. He even suggested he was misinterpreting what he saw because of Penny is of similar size to him. What if it was a dream world, vision world representative animal avatar that looks similar? It seems to be a running subplot of misinterpreting which animal avatars and dreams uh, and visions actually represent which people. Uh, he went on in his email to talk about how he's Marwin is described as a mastiff and as a large dog. So maybe the thing he saw snarling and in amongst the dragons was actually a dog. And therefore maybe it was actually Marwin. Um, my, my answer to that is I don't think so. Like, I don't think Marwin's important enough to get a, to get an include in the, in a vision like that. I don't think, I don't think the whole, all the stories of all these dragons hinges on Marwin the mage. Uh, he's a relatively minor character. He shows up in one chapter and then like very scattered references and then disappears off page for another book. So um, just on like in terms of importance of character and the amount of times they show up, it's like I don't I don't see Makoro actually seeing Tyrion, uh, seeing Marwin as Tyrion. But a good point, though, um, that Tyrion brings up and uh, Jeffrey also echoes Makoro is a flatterer. He very much wants the people he's talking to to think he's talking about them. That's actually comes up in the Victorian chapters quite a lot where it's quite clear Makoro thinks Victorian's an idiot, but he's an idiot he needs. So he uh, he tends to um, massage the visions similar to the way Melisandre does to make sure that the intended audience hears what they want to hear. But yeah, that's what I think. Okay, so Amanda explained it. She said, there's a 30-foot shadow baby in fire and blood, took the form of the warrior and killed a dragon with a shadow sword, possibly the best part of fire and blood. I think I don't remember this. Um, killed a dragon with a shadow sword. Was this during the sack of the, um, the dragon pit? If so, wow. Um, one of the possibilities of seeing a 30-foot shadow baby in House of the Dragon. Okay, so what are the possibilities? I bet it would actually be pretty high, like probably not like an actual shadow baby because it's probably it's probably just like um, things were going crazy in the dragon pit and all that other kind of stuff. So it's probably not like supposed to be literal. There probably wasn't literally a 30 foot shadow baby. But um, I would say that with the team they have working on it and the attention to detail and the help they're getting from George, that um, they're going to take a lot of opportunities to amp up the fantasy, kind of the opposite of what Dan and Dave did, where they kind of. They lowered the fantasy more or less. Um, so any chance that Ryan Condal and uh, Miguel and his writing team get, I imagine they will try and pick these things up because that's actually something that's rather absent from House of the Dragon. We talked about a little bit is that um, Fire and Blood is a very uh, 
a very down to earth book. If you read it, there's almost no fantasy elements in it. There's hints of them, like maybe the shadow babies used to kill Septon Moon. There are dragons, but they're sort of depicted as like being normal. But in terms of like actual like others and shadow babies and glamours and stuff like that, if it's there, they're going to play it up. So I would say uh, if that if that's written in, then I would say there's probably a pretty good possibility they're going to try and depict it, even if it is just like a giant shadow on the wall. <gasps> shadow on the wall. Drink. <laughs> oh, fandom villain Jeffrey Hartline, a.k.a. Brendan Beefish is here. <laughs> you need your house words. Yeah. What are just house words? I bet he from Twitter, he probably has some good ones like um, mm, block me, you cowards, probably or something like that. Uh, another super chat here from uh, Stephanie Spain. I believe this is one of my patrons as well. Um, hey, Matt, I miss your <laughs> I never miss your videos. So, so thanks for all the work you put in each one you demand. Thank you, Stephanie. Uh, another one coming out relatively soon. I'm going to try and get it out this week. Audio is all recorded. I just have to edit it together and then uh, make the actual video itself. But um, should be getting it done this week. Yes, I call Jeff a fandom villain or the fandom gatekeeper, if you prefer. Actually, I have quite a lot of uh, in the patron slack. If you say the name Jeff, quite a lot of insults come out of it. But I like Jeff, don't I? Yeah, Jeff is Jeff is OK. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's start the uh, the whole, I guess, spinoff showdown thing. Um, so there's actually an opening quote here that I want to use, which is not something you'd expect, because how can there be a quote when we're talking about spinoffs? The shows aren't out. Uh, we don't even have like pilots for any of them. So what could we do? And it's actually a quote here um, from Casey Blois. Blois? 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 I think it's Blois. Uh, Jeff doesn't like me. Do you love me though? Uh, the head of HBO. <laughs> and this is what he had to say about the upcoming Game of Thrones spinoff shows. He said, the way we try to approach it is not by saying we need five shows within three years, but what stories are worth telling. We've been developing multiple takes on different worlds. The one I want to do is the one that I think is best creatively. I prefer to make it about the stories and the showrunners and their vision as opposed to hitting some arbitrary arbitrary target for the right number of shows. So that's the mission statement for the Game of Thrones spinoffs. Um, I'm not sure because they've put out at least six shows we know about um who knows how many others seven actually if you count blood moon the canceled blood moon so it seems like they're sort of taking a strategy of shotgun at the wall or just like throwing it at the wall basically and see which ones stick but they're clearly giving the people making these shows quite a lot of latitude the subject matters are pretty diverse they're all across georgia's history and a lot of them seem to be based on the idea of taking game of thrones right and then adding it to some popular TV show, essentially adapting it into their universe. Two pounds ninety nine from Rob Thomas. Do uh, you know of any shows about the Starks? There are no shows about the Starks since Blood Moon is um, since Blood Moon is no longer in existence. Uh, George, this is kind of like a a not so secret secret about the way George approaches a song of ice and fire. He writes a lot about the Starks, but when you give him the opportunity to write about other things in a song of ice and fire, the Starks basically don't come up. They are barely in fire and blood. They're not in Duncan egg at this point. Um, a lot of hit the histories that he's written are about the Targaryens and the, um, the other Southern houses. It's like, he's not writing about the Starks. <laughs> and actually that was the thing with blood moon is it was supposed to be largely about the Starks. And I put this in my video. Um, why did House of the Dragons slay uh, the Long Night? Because that's what it was called at the time. And I was just like, he doesn't write about them. He doesn't. He doesn't put them in. <coughs> 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 
Cursed stream. Cursed. Yeah, and technically the main series is about them, but soon, like, it's in a way sort of about the Targaryens and the dragons the whole way through. Danny's the main character, so is John and both Targaryens. But yeah, I mean, look at his choice of projects in between um, The Winds of Winter and, and Dance with Dragons. He could have written f- the book that became Fire and Blood about everything, about anything. And he's like, more Targaryens. I want more of them. He just he loves them. He doesn't like the Starks that much. Um, <laughs> Alaric Stark and Cregan Stark are in Fire and Blood, but they are nowhere near main characters. The Starks are basically like off page for most of it. Um, we'll see if they ever come up again. But so far, he's been mostly focusing on anything else except them. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> Jeff says shows about the Starks don't have dragons. That's a branding issue for HBO. Their brand is dragons. That's true. Uh, but Mallory is also correct. That George is a, is a he's a Targaryen stan. He loves the Targaryens. He writes about them all the time. That's his favorite subject. Give him a chance and he will write about more blonde, pale people with dragons doing cool things. Also, the Starks are, are largely boring in like the, in the grand scheme of history. They are just like steady, good rulers who um, take care of their their lords and um, their vassals and like fight off invasions. So, but the Targaryens are inherently like dramatic and uh, so are the Valyrians and dragons really up any kind of interpersonal conflict into like massive, massive civil wars. Like I think the one Stark civil war was you hear about the Grey Starks and that was like barely a civil war. They won and they, um, they killed the Grey Starks and that was kind of it. Anyway, <laughs> sorry for going about a tangent there, but yeah, George is a, is a dragon stand. So any chance he has to insert more Targaryen and Valyrian lore into the story, he's going to do so. That's his that's his thing. Largely because they're like they are fantasy. Being a Targaryen is a fantasy for him. There's actually a um, there's a funny story about him growing up where he used to imagine that he would look across the water from his home in Bayonne, I think the Long Island, and would dream about like all the crazy things they get up to over there. And in his mind, like Valyria is sort of Long Island and he's always wanted to escape. Anyway, long, long story short. Uh, so yeah, going back to what I was saying before I got really, really sidetracked there. Um, so a lot of these spinoff shows, again, seem to be some kind of popular TV show that, um, that has succeeded elsewhere. And they're, they're kind of trying to find settings within a song of ice and fire that work with them. A lot of them can be described very, very cleanly as like this thing in Westeros. Uh, so the first one that came out, is titled uh, 10,000 Ships as the working uh, name for now. And it's about the um, Nymeria and the Roinar and their escape from Valyria or the Valyrian slave masters and the destruction of their home. <clears throat> uh, oh, no super chat here from uh, Stephen K. $15. Realistically, when do you think we'll be getting Winds of Winter? HBO doing so many shows has me really worried. I know George is not really going to be involved, but the themes were as me worried Mara. Not sure about the Mara part. Um, speaking of who th- knows when Winds of Winter is coming out, Jeff, don't you have um, don't you have inside knowledge? Don't you already have Winds of Winter? So I want you to tell everybody when George tell you it's getting out. Um, I would guess this year. He's been working on quite a lot of. He's been basically stuck up in a cabin in outside his home in um in New Mexico, like for the last year while he's been in quarantine. He's been writing a lot. He's the thing is he always writes a lot. The problem is that what he's writing is going back over stuff. Oh, your name's Mara. Okay. Um, the Steven. That's how that goes, I guess. Um, so 
I would guess within this year, maybe um, holiday season. But, you know, he'll announce it when he announced it. I think the fact that he sold so many things to HBO is that they um, that they made them him an offer he couldn't refuse. Basically, he talks about sometimes that like, ha ha ha, some we don't like that up um, at a dump truck full of money and they put it on his doorstep. And he said, yes, I'm guessing that's what happened with all these shows that George previously had a number or some kind of creative control over them that he wanted before he sold them the, these specific stories. HBO wasn't willing to get them, but then they saw the massive uh, downturn in subscriptions to HBO Max and all these things. Oh, it's in a different state from New Mexico. Wow. I didn't know that. Aziz. Aziz with the with the inside information on where the cabin is. I thought it was New Mexico. Interesting. I'm guessing whatever his demands were, they saw the massive downturn in subscriptions to HBO Max and um, all those different things. And they basically they finally said, OK, you know what? We'll meet his price. It is clearly worth it. So we're going to whatever George wants. Um, I am emo transgender. Sorry for confusion. No, my fault. No worries. Thank you again for your super chats and the questions. Um, very generous of you. <laughs> I'm guessing that's what happened, basically. Why though all these shows are out there? Some people have been trying to interpret like a downturn in his health or winds of winter is never coming. So he's selling them out. I think it's just that HBO finally had the the financial incentive to pay George and meet whatever his demands are, because quite clearly they saw that they have lost quite a lot of money without uh, Game of Thrones for people to subscribe to two or three months out of the year. And speaking of actually Aziz and History of Westeros, uh, 10,000 Ships in Nymeria is a passion of their channel and especially Ashea. This was uh, the spinoff she's always been looking for. Ashea is the best. They have a long series of uh, Roynar and Nymeria uh, episodes on their podcast and their YouTube channel. Definitely suggest checking them out. They go into a great detail, a lot of great theory crafting insights on them, what the uh, plot points would be for a Nymeria 10,000 ship show. Uh, if you guys have your have the link, you guys can throw it in the chat. <clears throat> but I'm just going to go ahead and read here. This is from a Hollywood reporter. These came from James Hibbard. So here we go. <clears throat> A second project working title 10,000 Ships revolves around the warrior queen, Princess Nymeria, a revered ancestor of House Martell who founded the Kingdom of Dorne. She became so legendary in the realm that two characters bore her name in the original series, the Sand Snake, Nymeria's Sand, and Arya's Direwolf. Her story is set roughly a thousand years before the events in Game of Thrones, making it much older on the Westeros timeline than any other previously announced projects in the works. HBO shot a prequel pilot in 2019, setting even further back during Age of Heroes, but never made series. Hey, that's Blood Moon. Uh, also, Game of Thrones added a storyline involving Dorne midway through the series that fan felt, fans felt struggled to feel like an organic part of the show. I mean, like, fair enough. Uh, if Greenlit, the Nymeria Project could be an entirely new and redemptive take on Sunspear. So that is James Hibbard's summary of the show. Um, one of the sneaky things is if you're looking for basically press releases that are from HBO, but not under their letterhead. Uh, Hibbard tends to get quite a lot of them. He sort of acts like an extension of their PR department. So if he's publishing something, it's most likely more likely true than not, because he has very good contacts within HBO and they tend to leak him a lot of stuff. But anyway, so that's his description on the 10,000 ships. Um, actually, let me see if I can find it on history and West history of Westeros. The, um, the Roynar thing. I remember listening to this while I was uh, hiking and I thought it was just amazing. I, he and Aziz and Ashe did an amazing job on it. 
<laughs> yes, need a redemptive take on Dorn. I also saw that somebody just signed up on Patreon, I think, unless that's an old one. I saw the the running zombie. Um, maybe. I don't know. Are you going to are you going to do this again to me? Uh, Streamlabs, are you going to do strange things? Are you going to replay old ones just to confuse me? Let's not do this again. It's fine. Um, so the the show that I've been thinking about in terms of ever since I heard about on Thursday, all the way back on Thursday, what show uh, 10,000 ships will might most likely be about. And I think it's probably going to be um, a Battlestar Galactica. But that depends a lot on where it exactly starts in in terms of the story. So what setting are they going to choose? There is um, there is a fairly diverse ch- uh, choices for these. One could start before the destruction of the Roinar. So we're talking about like the Turtle Wars, the Wars of the Three Princes, the Spice and Salt Wars. Uh, essentially, what happened was before the total destruction of the Roinar civilization, there is quite a lot of smaller wars between the Roinar and the Valyrian Empire um, and their neighbors, essentially. They went back and forth. It wasn't total war. Nobody was wiped out. But um, eventually they did. Uh, Valyria just kind of got tired of messing around with the water wizards. And they got tired of messing around with um, Roinar's uh, extreme economic power. Using Mother Roin as its uh, base of operations economically and all those other kind of things. And also Volantis was competing with it. So... There was quite a lot of reasons for them to go after it. So there's the Roinar, they get destroyed, and then Nymeria boards her 10,000 ships, and they essentially run for cover. Now that seems a lot like uh, the Battlestar Galactica starting point, where if you've never seen the show, spoilers, it starts with the end of the human civilization with the... um, with the Cylons, robots they had built that had gone away, showing up and essentially just nuking all the human worlds at once and like trying to destroy all their military. And the rest of the show is the humans that are left behind on the ships, a fleet, not exactly 10,000 ships, but there's quite a lot of them um, essentially running from the Cylons and trying to find a new place to settle after the destruction of their home worlds that they know they're never getting back. Again, this sounds very similar to what could be coming out of 10,000 ships. Um, probably not in space though. And probably no Cylons, but you know, the Valerians for most of the history of, of this, of the world, since they've been a power have been largely been the villains. Um, they're slavers. They tend to destroy civilizations. Uh, they are a massive economic power that rains dragon fire on people. So it would, you could sub in the Valerians for the, the Cylon role, essentially, if you wanted to, um, you know, it's the tale of diaspora that are running from the technologically advanced opponents or magically advanced in this case uh, that drove them from their homes in one massive attack and then hunt them down. That sounds beat for beat Battlestar Galactica, the at least the remake to what we know about the tale of Nymeria and the 10,000 ships. There's also the fact that on their journey, the the Roinar and Nymeria don't just go straight to Dorne. They have a lot of places they stop off in between water. Somebody talking about the Sky Palace. Jeff, get off your Sky Palace. <laughs> uh, so they stop. Uh, they escape from Sarhoy, one of the Roinish cities. They go to the Basilisk Isles. They go to the Isle of Toads. They go to Sothorios. They get to see Yin. And they actually try and settle there for a while. Whoops, it doesn't work. Uh, they end up going to the Summer Isles and meeting Isle of Women. Ooh, interesting. Interesting name. Kind of like an Amazonian thing. Um, and then after all that, they finally make it to Dorne. The thing that makes this kind of interesting, if you wanted to do the tale of the 10,000 ships, is that these are very different locations with very different problems they 
based in each of them. It's almost like George wrote it in a sense, like he was writing a spec script for a show about kind of a diaspora, um, people running from the, from an, from antagonists, very similar to Battlestar Galactica. I mean, I'm sure there are other shows like it. That's the one that came to mind. Actually, I saw Worthead, Adam Whitehead on Twitter came to the same conclusion. I was like, all right, cool. You got the same thing. Um, but yeah, so when you get to the Basilisk Isles, the problem is largely like disease and pirate lords. You go to Sothorios, the problem is the uh, eldritch horrors that are kind of like l- lurking in the abandoned cities and whatever else is in Sothorios. George has basically said that it's like there's like I think there's dinosaurs there, <laughs> like giant gorilla beings. Um, it's essentially like I don't even it. it's a very exaggerated version of um, <laughs> and like putting together all different forms of whatever has been in Africa at some time into Sothorius. It's supposed to be like a nightmare place. And then they have the Summer Islanders. You get to see Summer Islander or um, civilization. There's the Isle of Women, like I talked about. They end up leaving a colony there and then heading off to Dorne finally. So this could also, uh, (laughs) this may not be a great comparison, but this could also be a lot like The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead basically had the same kind of uh, plot points where you know, the world essentially ends and then they spend the next few seasons going from place to place trying to find somewhere permanent to settle. They never can actually settle anywhere. And there's always problems. There's drama in the groups. People you eventually lose people along the way. You know, it's the same kind of thing somewhere between The Walking Dead and Battlestar Galactica is probably how they pitch the show. Um, but that's only if you start before they land in um, before they land in Westeros. There's there's an entire another really interesting and um, awesome story of the Roynar invasion of Dorne. So when they landed Dorne, uh, this is called Nymeria's War. As it turns out at this point, uh, Dorne was not a united kingdom. It was there was at least six kings there. So you have the kings of the Torrentine. You have the Martells, I believe, who were kings in their own right. The Ironwoods, uh, the Fowlers, maybe I have to look back into it. But there's there's essentially six different kingdoms that make up what we know as Dorne. Nymeria invades with her battle hardened Roinar and her water wizards, teams up with House Martell. And from there, one by one, they dethrone each of the kings and sends them to the Night's Watch. This is the famous story about the kings that were sent in their fetters um, to the Night's Watch. The, the most highest profile people that have ever been sent to the Night's Watch as far as we know. And from there, you get the story of not only Nymeria's uh, alliance with the Martells, but also, if you like me, are a fan of them, House Dane. This is probably the high point of House Dane's story. Um, if you ever want to go put it on TV, they end up being a very strong and formidable foe outside the Ironwoods during this time. And it turns out that Nymeria does end up having a child with Sir Davos Dane. And this ends up having a lot of politics a lot of um, a lot of internal conflicts in this new Dornish kingdom, because one of the problems is, uh, as we know, Westeros is generally a male only inheritance. But Dorn is allows females to inherit and also to rule. And part of the conflict that comes between them is that Nymeria with Mors Martell had only daughters. And with Davos Dane, she had a son. And it seems like quite a, there may have been political reasons rather than like uh, equality reasons that Dorne ended up with female rulers that the Martells knew that the only way they could keep the the legacy of Nymeria alive and their own is if they made it so that their daughters could inherit as well. I liked, I would like to believe also that part of it was that 
Um, there's no reason women can't inherit, women can't rule, but it does seem like there's a conflict there that favors House Martell and the reason for doing it. <clears throat> so one thing about this possible 10,000 ship show is that I would love to see them traveling across the world. I would love to see them going to the Sothorius, the Basilisk Isles, the Summer Isles, all these other kind of things. But HBO will be heavily incentivized to uh, have a show that makes it to Westeros as fast as they can, because the Martells, the Do- the Danes, this setting is what the audience knows. Um, so it's very, it could end up coming true that they may be fast forward through a lot of the journey part that I think would be really cool, but they, they want to get to Dorne. They want to get to the Martells. They want to get to what the general HBO audience knows. So that would be my guess that maybe it was like a season of traveling and then they settle. And then we have the invasion of Dorne, Nymeria's wars, all that other kind of stuff. Um, and that's actually one of the major cons is that it is so far in the past and that this show would really have almost none of the houses that are popular with the game of Thrones audience. Um, the Lannisters, the Targaryens, the Starks, um, the Tyrells. I mean, obviously it would have been the gardeners at this point. Most of these house, the, even the, Rathians are not there yet. Um, you may see the Targaryens, but you'd probably see them as villains. You probably see them as the people burning down the Roinar, which, whoops, that, that one's not going to go over so good. But um, it's going to be uh, this one will probably be a hard sell. Um, there obviously is a large Dornish fandom, and there's a lot of passion in the fandom, especially the book fandom, for this story. But you kind of need to ground it in things people know. So they kind of sort of need to get Nymeria to Westeros. Maybe not like super fast, but I would guess that the show would not just be their traveling, that um, they would pretty quickly within a season or two go right to the invasion. <clears throat> uh, the second project is Flea Bottom. That's kind of really all we get about it. Uh, the This is what James Hibbard wrote about it. He said, the third project is set in the notorious King's Landing slum of Flea Bottom, the maze of tight streets in the capital city where characters like Davos Seaworth and Gendry Baratheon are born. And that is the end of the description of what this show is supposed to be. Um, uh, this actually comes up from one of my patrons, anime lover, Nicole. She says, all the shows really speak to me except flea bottom. What are you going to see there? So we really get no description of this. Who knows if it's actually what it's, what's going to be here, but there is a possible uh, parallel to something George has proposed before, something that has never made it anywhere. And that is his potential show called Spear Carriers. Uh, not sure about the name, um, but this is the quote. He says, I want to do a show called Spear, Spear Carriers, which would actually be set during the events of Game of Thrones. But it wouldn't be following Danny, Tyrion and Jamie. It'd be all in the background like Hamlet and be more like, here's a story about a guy in the city watch. Here's a story about a prostitute at one of Littlefinger's brothels. Here's a story about a mummer who's like, doing juggling and tricks and they all get caught up in the events. Martin told the times, I think that kind of show would be a lot of fun to do. Mail convince them to do it. So people have read the description of flea bottom. What little we get about it. It's like, Oh, maybe this is spear carriers. Maybe this is the thing that uh, George was trying to pitch for years and never really got picked up. If we're using spear carriers as, as, as the inspiration, this would be set during the time of the main story. I don't think they would do that. I don't think there's a lot of chance that HBO wants to revisit that time frame, that they want to revisit those characters that they would put in like cameos for Danny, Tyrion or Jamie. <clears throat> Not only would that be expensive, but 
almost all of these, <laughs> almost every single one of these spinoffs is basically not touching the main series in any way. They're going as far away as they can. Um, but the idea behind it, the idea of like, you know, the, the story of the guy in the, in the, in the city watch, um, somebody at the brothels, mummers in the town, that kind of thing. That could very well be true. And, uh, I've been calling it essentially the wire in Westeros that like that could be the inspiration, a very popular show about the Baltimore underworld. Um, if you just sort of take that as a model and then just put period, uh, costuming on it, it would work pretty well. Um, and that sort of gets to, to like what time frame you do this in. If you're not doing it like parallel to the main story. Um, so I went through so the most interesting times historically in Flea Bottom have been the Dance of the Dragons, which is sort of a problem because House of the Dragon will probably be covering this. Um, you also you have the Shepherd and the Storming of the Dragon Pit, the Moon of the Three Kings, the Hour of the Wolf, the Fall of King's Landing. It, during the Dance of the Dragons, Flea Bottom and King's Landing itself are on the page in a big way. Quite a lot of the action takes place there. There's also the um, Lara Strong is basically behind most of it, kind of like a little finger or a Varys character. Lara's Varys. Ha 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 ha. I see what you did, George. Um, the politics of King Land- King's Landing matters quite a lot to House of the Dragon. So it'd be kind of strange if they did this at the same time frame, but it's probably when they should. But there has been a suggestion as well that House of the Dragon may be more of a uh, crown-like show where it focuses just on the High Lords. Maybe they could do Flea Bottom as the other side of the coin to that show while the High Lords are playing their games. What's going on with the small folk? Um, maybe uh, that, maybe that's an idea for what it's supposed to be. Um, another good time would probably be during uh, Jaehaerys and Alysanne. That's something that's probably not going to come up in House of the Dragon, but it's also a fascinating time during... King's Landing's history. Um, it's a time of growth and peace. Um, again, it's a time frame they're not using. There's not a lot of wars that go on, but there's a lot of internal politics that have to do with King's Landing. So that would be another good one. Uh, Robert's Rebellion, maybe. Uh, but they're, they're supposedly already doing a Robert's Rebellion show. That, so that would have kind of the same problems where it would be, why would you do Robert's Rebellion at the same time that you're doing like a small folk oriented show? You could just sort of do them at the same time if you really wanted to. Um, but another time frame that I thought might be interesting for Flea Bottom would be during the Great Spring Sickness. The, although after COVID, I'm not sure anyone would want to watch that one. <laughs> uh, that would that would be a hard sell to get me to watch um, a show about a whole bunch of people dying from a communicable disease and no idea how to stop it. So, yeah, I don't know about that one, but it would certainly make sense. That is another interesting time. During um, that Flea Bottom, during the reign of Aegon V. Yeah, that's another good one, Amanda. Um, I got a PayPal here from uh, Maura Lee. I'm just trying to get the text of it because my phone always cuts it off because my phone's a dick. Yeah, Aegon V would be another good one. I can grab this. Oh, wow. Uh, $45 from Maura Lee. Thank you so much, Maura. That's very, very generous of you. Um, their message says to Joe Magician, just a show of love, support and appreciation for all the fabulous content. Love being a patron. You are the best. Thank you for putting, getting us through these tough times. Hugs for Mora. Thank you, Mora. That's a very sweet message. Uh, there's also questions coming up from her that she put on Patreon. So I'll be getting to those a bit later. Yeah, that's another good point. Luca Moore during the time of Jaharis and Alisane. If you want to <laughs> Luca Moore the lusty, that would be definitely an advantage of doing Flea Bottom. I believe he does have a lot of his kids in Flea Bottom. So. Uh, that would be another good one if you wanted to put it there. You could you could basically choose any of these time frames and do spear carriers. You just have to choose the time frame. Ugh. Aziz. Aziz with these puns. 
I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, that's basically all we got, though. There's there's not a lot of information on Flea Bottom. Uh, I am just speculating it has anything to do with spear carriers. It may not. Um, that's just the closest thing George has talked about since they seem to be inviting George for ideas at this point. Um, and of course, the last one is the nine voyages. <clears throat> I'm going to read the description here from James Hibbert. It said one of the projects working title nine voyages is from Rome creator Bruno Heller and follows Lord Corley's Falarion, a.k.a. the Sea Snake. Lord of the Tides and the head of House Valarion. The characters also appear in the upcoming greenlit Game of, Thro- Game of Thrones prequel, House of the Dragon, where he's played by actor Stephen Toussaint. Toussaint? Actually, it's probably French, so Toussaint. Uh, so this effort represents a potential spinoff from a character from a series that hasn't been shot, let alone aired. <laughs> um, so as you guys may know, uh, myself and Bookshelf Stud, we recently did a live stream talking all about Corley Solarion. Um, Michael has been pushing this one for quite a long time. The Song of the Sea Snake. This is actually his pitch during the Maester Monthly uh, <laughs> episode, which apparently they basically, I think they've all basically come true at this point. I think we pitched like six shows and I think we're like batting 100% on them be, at least being considered at this point. Like Robert's Rebellion, Song of the Sea Snake. Uh, mine was actually basically Blood Moon. So yeah, the, it's, a, it's an exciting show. Um, police Valarion makes his nine voyages all across the world. We really only know about about three or four of them. So there's a lot of room to fill in the blanks. If you want to, he goes to basically everywhere you can think of, uh, the places that are mentioned, he goes to are ET, Lang, Ashai, Ibn, Warath, the thousand islands, Nefer and Masovi. So that's even getting into the cannibal sands and the parts of the parts of George's world that are leaking into other authors. Like he ends up going to basically HP Lovecraft land at one point. So that would be, um, that would be quite something. Uh, there was a question about this from gray waste. Tim, um, he asked me, uh, patron among Corley's voyages. We stop at the secret city of Nefer, the thousand islands with its green skinned fish people. Yeah, it'll be wild. The green skinned fish people, um, and a shy by the shadow. Do you think the show will finally get to see these places on screen? Will these places be as dark and sinister as the stories will make them out to be, or the rumors just be rumors? So there's definitely an idea that how terrible all these places are, are way worse than they actually are. Like for instance, there's stories about like the wildlings, even within the story we, we know where it's like they're, they're bloodthirsty and they, they do all these horrible, horrible things. And it's like, we meet them. They're not really like that. So you can assume it's a similar kind of um, exaggeration for all these places. But the green fins, green skin fish people may be true. Um, shy by the shadow would be fascinating, but probably, they probably won't be a bit uh, dark and sinister, especially the places these are mostly based on. And also there was a Lovecraft Country, the show that came out recently, which dealt with a lot of Lovecraft's work. Um, they even made uh, a Nicolas Cage movie about the color of outer space. I'm not even sure if it was good, but they did it. So I think the landscape for TV at this point, they um, there's a lot more willingness to go to the strange and the bizarre and the high fantasy uh, than there was a few years ago. But thank you for the question, Tim. The gray waste Tim himself. Uh, how many likes are we at? We're at 7320 watching. Oh, come on, you guys. I know you want to see that hat. You want to see that hat on my head. It looks amazing. Slam that MF and like button if you could, please. Um, I, I guess a shy would be the most interesting. That's the place we know the most about. 
um, well, sort of like Masovi and Ibn and the Thousand Islands. Like uh, it would be largely up to whoever is adapting this to, to like try and make them real places. A shy, um, shy would be the closest, I would guess. But we also know that during his voyages, he basically goes to every port across Esso and Westeros that we have a name for and probably some that he hasn't been that we don't even know the names of yet. Um, this is sort of a good thing and a bad thing. The good thing is you would, it would be a chance to show off like a lot of crazy places, like really fascinating backstory, nightmarish creatures, different cultures and that kind of thing. But that also makes it, um, uh, potentially a very expensive show. Very, very expensive. That's a lot of sets. That's a lot of, um, hiring different extras. That's a lot of new characters and also just dealing with a ship and, and, um, sailing on like the whole sailing on the ship aspect of it. Like, um, there's not like one place that Corley's stays around a lot and then just sort of jumps to places in between a lot of it, especially because it will have to be a travel log of these places take years to get to. It takes, it takes huge amount of time for each of these voyages. So it obviously can't be a day by day thing. So they're going to have to jump in between the interesting parts, which means jumping between a lot of fantastical, um, CGI and costuming and makeup and all that other kind of thing. So that is that is a good thing about the show, but it's also a potential drawback. The budget will probably be huge um, when you would start it. Um, there's a few ways you could go on it. You could start it after a few voyages under his belt. So he's already like a legendary character who's already very wealthy and he's already a great uh, sailor. But you could go from when he's young. So you could show his adventures on the Cod Queen and the Summer Maid and the Ice Queen. And you could sort of set it up as an internal drama of poorly seeing his family essentially not succeeding under the Targaryens and his struggle against his grandfather um, and sort of the Targaryen idea that the Valarians should be second class to them. And Corley's rejecting that and going out into the world, having adventure, making his own name. So starting earlier would probably be better for generating the character. But also they um, James Hibbert brought that up in the in the episode. I mean, in the uh, description that this is a spinoff for a character who's not even the main character in a show that hasn't made it to air yet. So they must have a lot of faith in Corlys as a character. And this probably tells us quite a lot about um, that. Whatever you think Corlys is going to be like in House of the Dragon, like pump it up like 50%. They clearly think this guy is fascinating. They think his life is worth putting on TV in whole outside of just House of the Dragon. Like there's no Rhaenyra show. There's not a Damon show. There's a Corlys show. So um, probably a hint that this may even be left over from um, interest in House of the Dragon. They started writing about Corey. They're like, God, how are we going to put all this in here? And it's like, well, what if we just did a show about him? That'd be kind of interesting. Oh, hey, Chrissy. Uh, Chrissy of Old Stones is here. Actually, this might be a good time to talk about it. Um, for my upcoming video, the uh, moderator that did the voice work for it is actually Chrissy of Old Stones. So uh, look forward to her narration on the upcoming video. Um, probably going to finish that that's this week. Uh, and the show this is most likely based on uh, Black Sails seems like the most obvious uh, connection between them. Maybe something a little Vikings-y, but probably Black Sails. Uh, it's a very popular show, uh, well-regarded. It's got a good model you can follow. And there's hints that uh, <laughs> Corlys may be a little more piratey than uh, people realize. Because usually just exploring doesn't make you money. You either have to trade everything or you have to steal some stuff. So... I'm guessing at some point Corlys did some piracy. <clears throat> um, also, if you start the show early rather than later, if you're talking about a young Corlys, 
You could probably see his interactions with Viserys. You could probably see his interactions with Rhaenys, um, the Great Council, all these other kind of that's usually kind of a um, kind of a tension between different between explorer type characters in these fantasy settings is they normally have some sort of problems with um with authority or they do things like that's the main part of the Vikings show is that uh, Ragnar Lothbrook goes west essentially to make his own name so that could be kind of a similar sort of thing going on here where he's a rebellious character where maybe the king told him not to go or his grandfather or his father told him not to go and he did it anyway um, and that would make some sense when we start talking about the Dance of the Dragons and kind of why Corlys is allying himself with different people and who he's actually helping. And if he's actually helping them, if he likes them, um, a show just about himself would be uh, fascinating for that. Oh, Chrissy, to celebrate her birthday, too. Happy birthday, Chrissy. <clears throat> and then uh, the ones we already have in production. So there's Blood Moon. Uh, rest in peace. I made a video about why it got why I think it got canceled. They didn't really say why. Um, unlikely to see that show coming back anytime soon. It seems a lot like George's massive targ standing and also the, um, what's the right way to say this? The, uh, the way that Game of Thrones ended in terms of, uh, the others may have killed interest for HBO for quite some time in revisiting those plots. So yeah, um, that one appears to be dead and gone for quite some time. And obviously we have House of the Dragon, uh, the story of the Dance of the Dragons from around. Uh, Damon's return to court, most likely. Um, unlike A Song of Ice and Fire, though, this will probably feature quite a lot of time skips because uh, the Dance of the Dragon takes place over many years. And especially they're starting when the characters appear to be young with their casting. So we're probably looking at like Game of Thrones, but the crown for this one. Uh, the pros to... House of the Dragon, obviously, there'll be lots of dragons. There's dragons all over the place in this one. Uh, there's conflicts that feel very similar to War of the Five Kings and scope and setting and even the factioning behind them. Uh, it's a known storyline from start to finish. George has full buy-in in the story. He loves Ryan Condal. Uh, he sings his praises all he can. Um, and we already know that they have a full season ordered. So HBO has some kind of faith that this is the one to the kick off there, a germ CU with or whatever the George R. R. Martin cinematic universe. So that, that's a pretty, those are some pretty good things going for it. Um, the cons, um, <laughs> it's going to be very, very similar to game of Thrones, but large without the fantasy. I talked about that a little bit earlier in response to Amanda's question about like, will there be a 30 foot <laughs> shadow baby? There is no fantasy in the dance of the dragons, except for the dragons themselves. And they are not particularly, there's no others. There's like lots of stuff is missing from the, the narrative as we know it. <laughs> um, it's going to be a lot of the same kind of characters. A lot of them seem like different plays on each other, like George doing the whole like, oh, they rhyme sort of thing. That seems to be what's going on there. Uh, and a lot of the characters are going to end with similar beats that people did not enjoy in season eight. Um, so, Yeah. I mean, it's the same houses and settings, but the, uh, the other problem is that these are going to be entirely new characters in an entirely new um, type of Westeros to get used to. And it does get very grim, does get very dark. And by the end of it, like a lot of people are already like fashioning themselves like I, I support the greens, I support the blacks. But by the end of it, everybody sucks. And that's um, there's really no one to root for anymore unless you're like just standing nettles, which stand nettles if you're going to stand anybody. <clears throat> Yeah, good point. Let me be uh, the count. The cast announced seems really good for House of the Dragon. So they're taking it seriously. But um, it really does seem like a fantasy down Game of Thrones is kind of what they're aiming for. 
Uh, super chat here from your last great night. $5. Thank you so much. Um, if Corley's show gets made, will Corley's be more like Captain Flint or John Silver from Black Sea House? I haven't seen enough of it. I'm trying. I've gone through one episode. Um, I'm watching it and Viking side by side. Um, actually, I've watched more Vikings. I finished Vikings season one. Um, I don't know much about them. The characters in particular, I only know their intros. So the chat, <laughs> do you guys, can you guys answer the, uh, the last great night's question? I, I don't have a real sense of the characters yet. Um, and where they end up going during the series. I wish I could answer it. Uh, try again, like a month or two after I watch more of it and I'll, uh, I'll do my best. <clears throat> oh, and one other thing that's going to be kind of, I'm not sure if it's a problem, but it's definitely something to think about in terms of house of the dragon where it's going it seems to be entirely within king's landing so far um all the castings are from characters that are in king's landing or dragonstone or nearby uh auto hightower and allison hightower spend almost all their time in king's landing not going back to old town all the other characters are basically in the blackwater bay area um so it seems like that's where they're where they're starting uh, maybe the they're going to go out more when you get to like the butcher's ball and you get the um the hour of the wolf and the northmen showing up in like the the tumbleton wars and stuff like that but it seems like at least at first this is going to be a king's landing only show so that could uh, that could definitely turn off some viewers um especially those that did not like the king's landing parts like if you like seeing the starks if you like seeing are there people that like seeing Essos? If you're out there, that's not going to be in House of the Dragon, like at all. Um, so, yeah, that would be a thing. Uh, the other, sh- another show that's coming out is obviously Robert's Rebellion. Uh, this one and the Dunkin' Egg ones are more, uh, these are less confirmed, I'd say, based on the sources they came out from. But um, especially because George has previously said he didn't want to do Robert's Rebellion as a show at all, but then he didn't want to say, you didn't want to do a lot of these topics as shows and it seemed to be shows anyway. So who knows on this one? Um, presumably we're talking about focusing on Robert and Ned, Liana, Rhaegar, John Aaron as the leads. Um, they seem to be the, the main characters anyway. Uh, the main weakness of the possible show is that uh, it's going to hinge a lot on Rhaegar, <laughs> to be honest. And Rhaegar is an interesting character in the fandom because we don't know a lot about him. There's a lot of sort of fill in the blanks. Uh, for, for Rhaegar as a person and what he did and what he thinks. And this would essentially be putting pen to page on what he's like, what Liana's like, their interactions, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's one of those mysteries that people try to solve quite a lot, but I, I get the sense they don't really want to solve it. And there'd be people kind of upset. But we saw a flashback of that in Game of Thrones with the um, the Tower of Joy stuff. So we'll see about that one. Uh, let's see here. Yeah. The, the large attraction of, um, of Robert's rebellion is yeah, it's in the imagination of the reader. And the interesting part about it is not necessarily the physical like battles and what exactly happened, but the way George uses it as characterization for the characters themselves and how it influences where we're going now rather than like the physical actual deeds. So that would be something. Um, also there's, Prequel shows can be uh, kind of a fraught topic. It's usually not a lot of them uh, because you have to deliver recognizable characters and settings and fan service, but also change them enough so that the show stands on its own. Like uh, Better Call Saul is a very popular recent example of a successful prequel show that does it by instead of looking at Jesse and Walt, the main characters of Breaking Bad, we instead look at Saul Goodman. We look at Mike. We look at um, Lalo Salamanca. Um, 
M. I forget her last name. You know, they change the main characters. It's the same setting. And it's leading up to obviously Walt and Jess stepping into the meth business. But there's a lot more there. So would it if you're trying to follow that model, it's tough to see who you'd look at in Robert's Rebellion as being the characters you follow, especially because we already know Ned and Robert so well when they are major characters during this. Um, most shows honestly don't even try to do prequels. Star Wars has done prequels um, to some success and some not. Uh, so it, it has to be it has to be a show that's interesting on its own. It can't just be fan service. And that's kind of the worry with Robert's Rebellion. Um, you, you'd have to fill in quite a lot of blanks in a way that uh, that stands on its own. Most of these other shows are going to stand on their own because they're independent from the main the main series. But that, that kind of tells us a lot about uh, HBO's strategy, I guess, at this point. It's that they are going as far, far away, <laughs> absolutely nowhere near it, the main series. Uh, we're not talking about Aria and when she went west. We're not talking about um, we're not talking about Jon Snow beyond the wall. We're not talking about King Bran, Queen Sansa, like any of the other stuff. That stuff is off the table entirely. Uh, HBO has decided they don't want to touch the main series at all, except for referencing the setting. So that's the thing that makes me wonder the most about Robert's Rebellion being real, because that really goes against that strategy. We'd be seeing direct connections to the main story that they seem to be trying to get away from in a real way. Um, oh, <laughs> super chat here uh, from History of Westeros, $25. Thank you, Aziz. Uh, yes, catch uh, me tomorrow on History of Westeros. We'll be discussing uh, Winds of Winter Victorian chapter, which I had to read. And him and the Dusky Woman are, are doing stuff. And he has a real thing about that horn. Um, I think he has a stronger sexual relationship with the horn versus the Dusky Woman. I think he loves the horn more than he likes her. Definitely. I think if he could uh, have sex with the horn instead of her, he Victorian 100% would be down on forking that horn. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll be talking about that tomorrow on uh, Valar Reredus. So make sure you check that out. Um, I don't do you have the link for it, Aziz. If you want to just drop it in chat, you definitely as a moderator, you can. So a lot of a lot of me this weekend on your screens. And I know uh, after this at five o'clock, um, Radio West Coast is going live with Brendan B. Fish talking about the Black Virus, I think. Yeah, let me check on that. I just want to make sure I got it right. Uh, yes, here we go. They'll be talking about. Uh, Aegon the sixth and the black fire starting at five o'clock. Let me drop the link for you guys starting in 104 minutes. So I can't get it over that. Much. I can't go over that much today. Uh, I have to actually stick to my outline <clears throat> 3 p.m. Eastern. Okay, there we go. I wasn't sure on the time either. So yay. Uh, and of course, the last one that we've heard about is Duncan egg. I talked about this in a previous stream in detail. What we know about it, how it can be made, what content will likely cover that sort of stuff. Uh, the advantages of Duncan Egg, much like House of the Dragon, is there's completed stories to adapt before you have to wait for George to make up new stuff or you have to make it up your own. We have three Duncan Egg stories. You could string those out for three seasons if you felt like it. You could do a Sherlock Holmes or a Sherlock style thing where each one is its own movie length episode, uh, that kind of thing, if you felt like it. Um, another definite advantage is the very, very low budget of a Dunkin' Egg show. Uh, they spend most of their time in the countryside or really just at one or two locations with like a tourney and the inside of a castle. Um, unlike Corley's Valarion story, there's not fantastical things you have to depict. Dunkin' Egg is a fairly grounded show. Uh, there's no dragons. There's almost no magic. 
Uh, there's no giant battles, no recurring cast. It's basically just the two of them. Uh, the disadvantage is, is, of course, you have to make the audience hook on Duncan Egg as characters. There's not another POV you can go to. There's not other locations. Uh, you really got to get the audience to buy in on whoever you cast them as and them as characters and as their interactions as a as a partnership, basically. Um, the other thing is that Duncan Egg is a much lower stakes story. It doesn't share a lot in common with Game of Thrones proper. It's not like a particularly wide ranging epic tale. It's, it's a very it's a much smaller story until you get to the end after Aegon becomes king. And a lot of the content that we already have from Duncan Egg is um, how do I put this? It's something that is a kind of a frequent complaint about uh, early seasons of Game of Thrones. And that is the traveling and the this kind of doing nothing sort of stuff. That's largely Duncan Egg, like Brienne through the Riverlands, Arya in the Riverlands, Bran traveling to the wall. That's kind of that's basically the show. So if you don't like that stuff, Duncan Egg is going to be a hard sell. Um, whereas House of the Dragon is much more leaning into that style of content. Um, if we want to talk about what kind of show they're probably thinking about uh, copying, maybe something like Xena or Hercules. But basically, A Song of Ice and Fire is maybe the um, the style. Although there has been talk of it being an animated show, that would be uh, that would also be pretty good. Oh, uh, we're not going to reach 150 likes today. Uh, you guys slam that MFN like button. So that's kind of where we are. I'm going to go through a few questions and then we'll go to the uh, do some tier rankings. We'll fire it up on the screen. And we'll, we'll see which ones are going to be the best. Um, so a question here from uh, Maura Lee. Uh, she, the three main shows she wants to see most are House of the Dragon, Robert's Rebellion and Duncan Egg. And question for the stream. How do you see the story arcs ending for the fallen characters, Littlefinger and Lord Varys? Do you see their story arcs? Ending similar to what happened in the show or different or why. Um, and then there's a question. And then about the truth of how Kevin Lannister died will come out in the last two books. So Varys, it's going to be hard to see why Varys would align himself with Daenerys. He seems really in on the old, on the young Griff plan. So um, like how would he end up in Danny's camp uh, if they don't marry and if they don't join forces? I don't really know. Um I, that part of it, I would, I would have a hard time seeing. I didn't quite understand why Varys did it in the show either. I mean, he, they sort of do like, oh, it was the long term plan. But we know the long term plan was actually for young Griff, not Danny, and for um, and for Viserys and not Danny. And it's just kind of like, I don't know, they just kind of fast forward that part. I didn't, I didn't really I didn't quite get it. Um, that one. I don't see how Varys would end up in Danny's central camp and then being burned alive for betraying. I don't think he would really do that, especially with her reliance on uh, dragons and magic at this point. So probably not as a betrayal, but maybe if he gets caught or something like that uh, for Littlefinger, uh, that made that made sense. Um, at some point, Sansa and Arya are going to figure out or Sansa is going to figure out that Littlefinger is a piece of shit and essentially put together the pieces of how he destroyed her family for his own gain. So the idea that the Starks will end up killing Win uh, Littlefinger in Winterfell Makes a lot of sense, um, especially the foreshadowing of the giant's head on the spike outside Winterfell. Littlefinger's sigil is actually a a giant's head, the Titan of Bravos, but he changed to a to a mockingbird. So there's some good foreshadowing there that Littlefinger will make it to Winterfell only to die. <clears throat> I think the truth of how Sir Kevin died will come out in the last two books. I don't see how it will. Um, there's basically nobody that knows. Ferris is going to keep that one. He may blame it on. Um, that's the thing about the deaths of Pysol and Kevin. He can blame it on whoever he wants, or he can uh, he can shape the narrative however he wants to. Littlefinger's not there anymore. Uh, Kyburn, who knows what he's up to? 
So, yeah. Oh, and a question here from uh, Darkfire Nice. Uh, the Roy, um, any reason given for Dorne never trying to resettle the Roin after the Doom? If Norway could successfully colonize Greenland for the Shia 400 years, the Martels could have set up trading stations at least. Uh, there is some hint that Orphans of the Greens Blood did make their way back to uh, the Roin and in limited amounts, but the problem has always been the uh, the Valyrians and Volantis. Um, if you tried to rebuild the Roinar Empire, you would have to do it by beating the Valyrians first. And after they're gone, then you'd have to tangle with Volantis, one of the world powers. They were never, they're never going to let anyone um, basically rebuild the Roinish civilization. They're doing it on small scales, but like part of the reason for destroying the Roinar was for Volantis to thrive. So as long as Volantis is the power, they're never going to let the Roinar rise again. But thank you for the question. Um, let's see here from Eric Ferg. Uh, he asked, how do you rank them in most likely to actually happen? Okay. Uh, most likely shows actually happen. Obviously House of the Dragon at the top of it. Um, I'll put Dunkin' Egg pretty high up there. It's it's a low budget show. It's easy to do. It's different, but in the same universe. It's a beloved property. Um, so I would put that probably second most likely to come true. Um, ten thousand. Well, I, I Robert's Rebellion probably third because if the interest is still there for Game of Thrones and the audience proves it, then hitting a prequel show, a direct prequel to the main series after enough time to like rebuild faith in the in HBO's ability to adapt it, then Robert's Rebellion would be a good one. It has all the same stuff. It's got characters you already know and like. So that would be my guess. Uh, fourth most likely, let's see here, probably 10,000 ships. That has a really great story, has a great hook. Um, you have Battlestar Galactica and The Walking Dead to follow as examples. Um, and there's already quite a lot of detail about Nymeria's uh, journey from the Roin to Dorne, a lot of houses weird, you know, once they get there, fascinating story, um, a lot of character development, and it would allow them to basically rehab Dorne. <laughs> so that would be, uh, so fourth, most likely fifth most likely flea bottom just because like, I don't even know what the hell it is. Like, what is flea bottom? Like, what are we doing here? What is it about? What's the time frame? Um, all these other kind of things you need more detail and the least likely I think would be the, um, nine voyages. If only because, it's a show that's going to be dependent on House of the Dragon and Corlys Velaryon being an interesting character to the audience for it to be to be worth making, especially with the likely high budget on it. Like, um, like House of the Dragon has to be popular first, then Corlys has to be a popular character enough to support his own show about his voyages. If people hate House of the Dragon and they hate the uh, the adaptation of Corlys, the show's going nowhere. So that would be um, most likely to least likely. So most likely. Uh, House of the Dragon, Dunkin' Egg, Robert's Rebellion, um, 10,000 Ships, Flea Bottom, Coralie's Valarian. That would be my guess, or most likely to least. Uh, super chat here from uh, JT Soul. Uh, $5, maybe? Uh, do you think we'll ever see the story of the Amethyst Empress and Bloodstone Emperor in any format, show, book, etc.? Or that reveal too much? No, I don't think so. It's it's a, an obscure legend. Um, in order to do it, you'd have to portray the great empire of the dawn which would be extreme high fantasy from what we know about it um almost no nobody that watched the show knows about it it's um it's fairly buried so it's like the most esoteric of esoteric things you could put on screen um and you could tell the same story if you wanted to with in a different setting like i don't even know how you would get people to care about the great empire of the dawn 
and then convince them the budget and all these things. It's like, I don't know. You could just put, you could do something sort of similar in a, in a, in an easier to adapt and more recognizable format than actually trying to go back and then convince people to care about that ancient, ancient story. I mean, they had the opportunity basically with, uh, with blood moon, if they wanted to tell ancient history and they outright canceled it. So I think that uh, kind of puts the kibosh on any sort of long ancient history mythical story like clearly that's not where they're going uh in the books i don't know there's not a lot to i don't think there's a lot to be revealed there it's it's a fairly i mean so you're talking about like a monomyth thing that like i don't know it's um the interesting parts about them are how they resonate with the current story not them and themselves so it's it's very obscure and they would never put it on tv i doubt george is going to explore any more than he has like the world of ice and fire was already indulgent as hell um so i don't think they would go ahead and do that uh, let's see here. Another one from Eric. Uh, young Davos starring in Flea Bottom and with Gendry. What other characters you anticipate? Uh, yeah, that's a great point. If you did Flea Bottom and you did it in the um, Robert's Rebellion time frame or just before the show picks up, you could definitely um, you could do Davos. Um, young Davos would be a great hook for that show. Again, the problem would be how much do they really want to touch on the main series? It seems like they're going the complete other way. Uh, but if they decide to do it, young Davos would definitely be a definite hook character, a main character to base it around. If you want to do that, if we're talking about the dance of the dragons, time frame, uh, there's a lot of good characters, but if you're doing it during like Alisane and Jaehaerys, Luca Moore and his children and his family would probably be a great place to start. Um, and another one here from Eric, isn't the stuff that precedes uh, Nymeria's journey way more interesting than futilely searching for safe sanctuary, water wizards and curses seem more, way more exciting. Yes and no. They would want to, as I said, they probably want to get to Westeros as fast as they can. So I, if we see the Roinar Empire in its in its whole before uh, before the destruction of by Valyria and all these other kind of things, it would probably be pretty quick. Um, within a season or two, you'd want to get them to Westeros. You'd want to get them to Dorne just so that they um, they can link it back to the frame setting that um, the audience already knows. Uh, let's see here. And a patron question from uh, Sasuke. She says, is there still an idea for a spinoff that you never heard anyone mention that you wish could pitch? Granted, this would mean you were expecting them to do a perfect job and not ruin my idea. Um, well, the funny thing was my pitch was actually what basically what Blood Moon was. Uh, that was my pitch from Maester Monthly. And then I was just like, oh, I guess they're doing this in like an ancient legend base, um, an ancient legend based story, like the history of the others, the origin of the Starks, that kind of thing. That would that would have been my uh, my spinoff. I thought that would have been really cool. Um, but an idea for a spinoff that I've never heard anyone mention that you wish I could pitch um, would be a good one. I think if you want to do a Stark based one, um, the story of what is it? Artos Stark, Artos the Implacable and their fight against. Um, let's see here. Uh, the King Beyond Wall, Raymond Redbeard. That's a really good time frame. Uh, the story. This is would be after she wolves or right around it. Uh, the invasion of the uh, the wildlings through the wall in 226 AC. Um, so Willem Stark, Baron Stark, Artos Stark. It would be if you wanted a Stark based story um, that they sort of teased with Mance coming and never ended up happening. That would be a really cool one. Um, focusing on Artos himself, uh, but also his uh, his sons are also interesting. They sort of disappear out of the narrative. Supposedly they go to Essos to become like cell swords. So. It's relatively close enough. That would be interesting. It's got a, a great hook with Raymond Redbeard. Um, 
the mostly based in the north, a lot of inter-family drama with the Starks, all that other kind of stuff. So that would be a cool one. Uh, so the invasion of Raymond Redbeard, that kind of time frame. It's not really touched on in any way. You could fill it out quite a lot. It would hook in with any kind of Duncan Egg thing if you wanted to. If you wanted to touch on it. So that would be my guess. A lot of the other ones go into the main ones. Like uh, Cregan Stark would be a fascinating character, but he's going to show up in House of the Dragon. Um, there's not a lot of interesting Starks after Torrin Stark until Cregan shows up. So there's kind of like a, a lot of big blank spaces in their history that would be interesting. So there we go. Oh, I got Aziz interested. I win. I did it. The pitch will now come true. <laughs> Recast John Bean. Yeah, bring him back. Why not? Uh, any other questions I wanted to get to? Nope, that's it. All right, so let's switch over. Um, I'm sorry, guys. We're going to lose my fabulous, my fabulous camera, and we're going to load up the tier list. All right, here we go. <laughs> so if you guys have never seen these before, um, can you actually? Okay, so you can see me move these around. So all around the bottom here, I have the different um, spinoff series that are upcoming, including the ill-fated Blood Moon. And it goes from uh s tier to f tier s tier being like the absolute best like game of thrones style popularity and quality um like the best thing we've ever seen f tier like you wouldn't even watch it it would be the worst thing in the world so i think this could be kind of like a um a thing we do together i mean obviously i have my picks on and this is assuming that they were adapted to the screen and they actually made it like uh we're just gonna assume that all these shows are getting made so which ones would be the most interesting which ones would be the um the best shows basically so let's see if we can figure this out i'm gonna see if hang on let me see if this works nightbot are you there are you awake nightbot i don't think it's awake nope <laughs> i mean they're all in f tier right now maybe some people think that way um all right so we have uh, some straw polls so we'll start with um we'll start with robert's rebellion so i'm gonna put a straw poll in the chat you guys vote on it so we're gonna start with this one so where what ranking would you give a robert's rebellion tv show if you could see it so we're gonna grab this baby uh my inclination is that it would be so if s tier was like game of thrones at its absolute best f tier would be like the star wars christmas special like if robert's rebellion was adapted correctly and like i don't know i i kind of have like in a b and c range I know it's interesting and there's a lot of cool battles and you get to see Rhaegar and Lyanna and that kind of stuff. But like, it's not something that really grabs me, especially because we we've seen kind of like Robert's Rebellion happen again. Like we've seen the War of the Five Kings. We've seen these kind of things already. We already know Robert and Ned and all these other kind of characters. It's like, what are we getting out of it? I guess. I don't know. I think Rob, I think like Rhaegar and Lyanna and RLJ are like more interesting in terms of like not being on the page rather than being real characters. Uh, let's see the results. Oh, wait, did I Hang on a second? Did I put this in the chat. Yeah, I put a straw poll in the chat. Uh, you guys want to vote on them? Um, it doesn't seem to be working. <laughs> Why isn't this working? Did I curse this again? My votes aren't showing up. Um, let's see here. A tier, S tier, S tier. Wow. A lot of faith in Robert's Rebellion. Uh, B for sure. A. I want to get an spin off with all the novels. You'll be waiting a long time on that one. Uh, C, C, a D. Wow. So why isn't this working? Strawball is apparently broken. <laughs> yeah, it's not showing the results for me either. I don't know what's going on. Um, let me try another one. Well, actually, I tried the command. It, maybe Strawball's dead. So seeing a lot of B's and C's. F tier for Robert's Rebellion from Amanda <laughs> of House Robinson. C tier. Um, depends on who it's following. It's a good point, Bryson. Um, I think the general consensus is that 
we're probably looking at Robert's Rebellion being like B tier. It would be a pretty good show, but a lot of it sort of exists to support the main one. Um, I don't, I don't know what's going on with uh, with Strawpole. I guess that's broken. Does anybody else know another straw uh, pulse that I could use for this between B and C? Uh, free pulls. Let me try that. Hopefully, you guys can't hear me uh, talk typing. Young Robert. I guess that is a. Uh, let me try this out. Uh, I have to create an account for this. Oh, God. I'm not creating an account. Um, EasyPolls.net. Did I just try this one? Yeah, once we. Um, I guess we're just not going to. I guess uh, straw poll isn't going to work. We're just going to vote via chat. <laughs> Oh, I had such a good plan for this, and now it's just not going to work. All right, so probably about B tier for Robert's Rebellion, maybe like shading towards A. All right, so that's that's where it is. Robert's Rebellion B tier. It is it is objectively the ranking. Uh, so let's do. Well, let's see a Maester Aemon based spinoff. Well, of course I do. I don't think it's going to make it to air. Uh, let's do next. Um, all right, ten thousand ships. So we have Nymeria's journey here. So this is uh. Reminder, if you vote this highly, a Shea will be happy with you. So if you want a Shea to be happy with you, this is a good way to do it. Um, I think this actually has quite a lot of potential for being um, a very good show. It has easy shows to essentially copy the format for. It has a lot of interesting places to go. Easy built-in conflicts for each one. And then once they get to Westeros, it doesn't stop being interesting once they make it. It only gets more interesting, um, the, especially with the six different kings in, uh, in Dorne, the, the, the Martells, the Danes show up. Um, that's kind of my thought on it. I mean, it's obviously not a high priority setting for HBO. They obviously want to go to do more Targaryens and Westeros proper. But I think this could be pretty good to hear B, 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 S tier from Emma Smith. No sh shocking there. Uh, S tier from Stormy, A from Audrey, A, B, C, S. So this one's shading high. So it's look like we're somewhere between A and S tier for 10,000 ships. And that's that's probably what I that's about what I think, too. I think um, I think there's a lot of really good possibilities for this being just a good standalone show. I mean, it would be within the Game of Thrones universe. So would it be really helping that much to be within it? Yes and no, but it's such a good um, pitch basically for, for how it would go. Uh, yeah, this one's Nymeria. So we're doing Nymeria and the 10,000 ships. A, B, no, no, doesn't like it. Oh no. Um, I think probably A tier is probably a good place for it. Like Battlestar Galactica, Walking Dead are beloved TV shows out there. Um, it's a format that works. Yeah. A tier for that one. We good with that. I mean, it could be S tier. It could be the best one of them all, but like it, it kind of, and especially from the showrunners from Rome, I think it was Rome's a great show and they do a great job with that kind of time frame. So I can imagine. Yeah. Okay. So there we go. Nymeria and the 10,000 ships, an A tier show. Robert's rebellion, a B tier. I think that feels right. <laughs> S tier from hedgehogs and cats are life. I prefer focus on integration of Dorn. Yeah, I think if you're particularly attached to Dornish culture and the Roynar themselves, then it probably goes up to an S tier. But I think it just seems like a very good show on its own. It gets better if you like those things, but also it also hurt it because if you're looking for your Game of Thrones show like fan and you're looking for the Lannisters and the Starks and like the Targaryens, the Targaryens being like not the objective bad guys like they probably will be in the show. And that would be kind of a problem. But I think it's I think it's got a good hook. All right, let's do which one should we do next? Let's do Flea Bottom. So <laughs> I don't even know where to rank this one. 
because like, what is it? What even is it? We got a one sentence description. We didn't even get a, we didn't get a time frame. We only just know it will be about Flea Bottom itself. Not like what kind of story is it going to be like a mystery thing? Like noir? Is it like a fantasy noir would actually be kind of interesting, but like, where is this going to be <laughs> at best? Like at best, this could be like the wire, but like, do we really think it will get there? Like they don't, it seems like they just pitched. It seems like Flea Bottom is just pitching spear carriers plus the wire and then kind of hoping you figure it out. It's not that Flea Bottom's not interesting. It's just like, what even is it? I, I don't think. Yeah, I think we're I think we're going to keep this one down in F tier just because like I need more information. And why would I care about this show when there's all these other ones on here? Like, are you telling me I'm going to tune in for 10,000 ships versus Flea Bottom? Like maybe if Flea Bottom has a really good hook on it, but God, I don't even know what it is. I think at this point, I think the only, I think you have to put Flea Bottom down at like the D E F tier at this point. Cause like, yeah, explain to me what it is first. And then maybe, <laughs> maybe it will be good. Like Peaky Blind. Yeah. Peaky Blinders is a really good show, but I don't know if that's what it is. <laughs> like at, at worst, this could be like solo <laughs> the TV show. I don't want solo the TV show F for Flea Bottom. That's right. <laughs> Oh, Gangs of New York. Great call, Maester Zen. If it's Gangs of New York, it's like an S or an A tier. I would love it, but I, we don't know anything about it. I tried my best, but God help me. I don't know what it is. All right. So let's go for <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let's go for House of the Dragon. So this is the one that's definitely coming true. This is the one that um, is in production. There's a full season coming. We're looking at Rhaenyra, Damon, um, Allison. So when they're younger style, this is probably gonna be a crown like show. Um, how the dance of the dragons, obviously this is probably going to be a anthology style series. So where, where do you guys think, what do you think from what you've heard about house of the dragon, the story from fire and blood, the actors that have been cast, what do you think about house of the dragon? A tiers coming out the gate, really people excited for it. A from anime from Nicole, Jenny Burt, S tier from Lemmy B S from Daisy. Interesting. So they've done a good job hyping this up for you guys. This is something you really want to see. <laughs> S tier, A tier, a lot of S tiers. Interesting. A if it's done well. Yeah. Patty Considine. Good call, Sarah. As with series is going to be really good. A just for Matt Smith with the, <laughs> the happy masquerader with the image of Matt Smith as your icon. I'm not, not going to, not going to be shocking there. Uh, not going to lie. Dance of the is not a favorite for you. Um, it's a D from Emma. This is what Emma Smith thinks. House of the Dragon is terrible. Um, personally, I would I would put it at like Robert's Rebellion level. I was not a huge fan when I read, honestly, Fire and Blood. And I got to the Dance of the Dragons. It was so, I don't know. It was what's the right way to say this? It's so dreary and it's it, it like completely takes the energy out of you. Everybody sucks at it. It's just like betrayal after betrayal after betrayal. Even when the house, of the, when the uh, hour of the wolf comes through and Cregan Stark saves everything, it's just kind of like, oh man, this blows. But the way that they're so excited about it and that they, they ordered a season already and George is clearly behind it. Um, I'm more excited for the show than I am, than I was for like reading it in fire blood. If that makes any sense. Like I really dragged getting through those chapters. It was like, oh, oh God, another, another betrayal, another, everybody dies. Especially when we got to the King's Landing stuff and it was like the shepherd and then the moon of the three Kings. I was like, oh my God, please stop. Please stop. Please move this along. Very depressing. Yeah. 
And especially when if you read it as like a fixed version of season eight, which is kind of how I read it, I was like, oh, okay. But yeah, so we're seeing still a lot of A's and B's. Um, B's, eh, I don't know. Do we put it like here? Is it between S and A? That seems to be the consensus from the chat here. You guys seem to think that this is going to be a fantastic show that you're really excited about it. If it was just Matt's rankings, it would probably be like down here um, between like A and S that we're talking about here for House of the Dragon. It does have dragons, Brandon. That's right. It has lots of dragons, like <laughs> all the dragons you could ever want. And the really cool dragons, too, like the battle over the God's Eye. We'll have Alice Rivers. We'll have um, the Strongs, which I'm that's honestly something I'm really excited about. Butcher's Ball sounds amazing. Um, I do have a question on how many dragon battles we're going to get. <laughs> like those are expensive and hard to film. I think it's I think if it's A or S comes down to how much faith you have in Miguel and uh Ryan in terms of showrunners because they have fire and blood. They've hired a lot of really good writers. Um, so let, let's, let's, let's put this right here. We'll put this right in between. House of the dragon between a and S tier. Okay. That sound fair guys. We good with that. I would put up a straw poll. I mean, obviously quite a lot of folks watching that are not, but they would, if there was a straw poll, uh, looks like we're probably not going to get to see a new hat today. Maybe tomorrow for, um, for history of Westeros I'm 25 away. So, Unless it's 25, you haven't slammed that like button. No new hat. I also have a question, though, on how far House of the Dragon's going to go. Like uh, uh, Sasuke in the chat just said, who they cast as peak. Like, are we going to get past? We can get to the um, Aegon the Third and that kind of stuff. I don't know. So we got Flea Bottom at F, F for Flea Bottom, B for Bobby's Rebellion, A for 10,000 ships, between A and S tier for House of the Dragon. Uh, one thing I'm not exactly excited about for House of the Dragon is that unless they put like a big effort in putting fantasy stuff in, like that was something I wanted to see more from Game of Thrones that they didn't do. And how fire, I mean, uh, Dance of the Dragons is low fantasy. There's basically dragons. All right. So let's let's go for this. Um, so <laughs> this is a little, little sea snake. So this is uh, the nine voyages, the show about Corlys Velaryon traveling all over the world. Um, probably young Corlys until he becomes Lord. That's about when his voyages stop. So going to E.T., going to Ashai, Masovi, just like something like Black Sails. What do you guys think? Where does this one belong? Is this, a, is this an S-tier show? Are you super excited for Corlys? Is this like F-tier? Like who gives a shit about his voyages? What, what are you thinking? I'm I'm shading high. I'm shading high on uh, on... The Song of the Sea Snake, especially after doing that stream with Michael. There's so much interesting stuff about him. Um, seeing all these different locales throughout the world. Um, I think my chat froze. Yes, the ch my chat on YouTube froze. My screen froze. I can see it on. <laughs> I can see it on. There they go. OK, now it's catching up. OK, OK, there we go. So reality C. Ouch. No faith in the nine voyages. Uh, A, B, S tier for the Song of the Sea Snake. A. B for Emma, B for Nicole. Seeing a lot of A's and B's, so we're probably looking at like this kind of range. Um, sea Snake would be S tier. I think it has the potential to be a really good show. No reservations for Corey's. Oh my God. What if it's, yeah, what if he's actually just Anthony Bourdain? <laughs> he's just going around trying food. It's actually just a cooking show. It's just showing off restaurants around the world. Oh, that would be SS tier. Anthony Bourdain, the fantasy pirate. Um, so somewhere in this range, I think we're looking at probably like an A tier for Song of the Sea Snake. B, A, A, C or D from Brandon R. Not a lot of faith in the in a sea snake. S for boats. 
jaded redhead wherever she is this is a this is an a this is an ss plus tier for her this is like super saiyan 4 tier um no reservations the Coralie's for our own story god that'd be great rest in peace poor dan i'm gonna i'm gonna put it up here i'm gonna put it in a solid a range i think it has a lot of potential um but the question is is like how much of a game of thrones show would it be and how much would it be just like Black Sails, because um, Black Sails is a good show on its own. But does it, how much does it add by getting Corlys Velaryon? I think that depends largely on what they do with them in House of the Dragon, because these two are linked. If House of the Dragon's good, then sp- the Nine Voyages will be too. If this is, um, if House of the Dragon sucks, then <laughs> Corlys goes with it. I don't think there's, I don't think you can separate them. Um, Drives, <laughs> wyverns, and dives. Oh my god. Yes, yes, yes. That's what that's what we need. <laughs> the Guy Fieri of Westeros. Who's the Guy Fieri of Westeros? What do you got? <laughs> isn't that the name of one of Septon Barth's books, actually? Like close, isn't it? <laughs> Big Star Trek vibes from Aziz. Yeah, that's that's probably a good point. Um, a lot of um, adventure of the week, seek out new life and civilizations and then pirate them because it's it's almost for certain that Corlys did some piracy. Um so like a low tech Star Trek. So does that make it? I guess that depends what you think about Star Trek. Uh, Firefly, maybe that could be something kind of like it. I love Firefly, but didn't really go that far. And I actually saw a video about it the other day where somebody made a good point where they're like, part of the reason people love Firefly is because there was only one season. Um, it didn't keep going. So we don't really know what would have happened when Joss Whedon would have run out of ideas. And there's nine voyages here. Captain's log, uh, sea snake date. What it what was it like? Eighty nine AC. Isn't that when he was around? So let's say let's say song of the sea snake. The nine voyages, A tier, but possibly S tier. It depending on how much they go into like Star Trek, how much they go, how much they copy popular travel log like ship based shows. It would be kind of weird though because you'll be kind of copying sci-fi into Corlys Velaryon. Corlys is not adhere to the prime directive. You don't get rich sailing around the world by <laughs> adhering to a prime directive. You're getting a deal on some stuff. Uh, so let's do Blood Moon. I think that's a good place for it. So this is the canceled. I don't know if it's ever going to come back. This is the long night. This is the origin of the others. This is the origin of House Stark show uh, with Naomi Watts that has since been canceled. But if it wasn't canceled, if this was a real show, if it was coming out, where would you put it? How excited were you for Blood Moon when it was a thing? Basically, I mean, I just put it in. The, in I just have to put it somewhere. So it's it's just sitting right here. The prime is loot. Oh, my God. S tiers. S tiers. Oh, my God. S is all the way down for Blood Moon. A tier. S tier. Wow. Maybe they shouldn't have canceled it. B tier from Lemmy. Really, Lemmy. Why, why C tier? Amanda of House Robinson D tier. Ooh, you're down on a lot of these shows. S tier, S tier across the board. Origin. Well, this is also my audience. So I shouldn't be that surprised that my audience is super, was super excited for Blood Moon. <laughs> e tier. Ooh, D tier, D tier. C. Oh, so this is, this is a quite a big scatter shot. Oh, yeah, true. Let me, they kind of did uh, kill the interest in the Night King. So this one's across the board. I think on average, this is probably like C tier based on what I'm seeing. There's a lot of really low ones, but a lot of high ones. Um, Jenny Bird, I worry there's enough book to go on that. I think that is part of the reason it never got made because it's like when George would have been giving them info on what Blood Moon would have been, he was instead writing about the Targaryens 
And I did a whole analysis of his posts about it. And he really tried to distance himself from it. Uh, I don't think he was a fan of the show in particular. And I don't think they had a lot to go on by moto distribution. <laughs> yeah, this this is a this is a wide range of, of ratings for this one. The other ones are pretty clustered. Um, so maybe this is why it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> The, the it's a very polarized um, reaction right here, even among people that <laughs> tune into my content. You think my, people who watch my streams and watch my videos, this would be S tier across the board, but clearly not. So let's uh, let's go here and let's say it's C tier, not because it like it couldn't be awesome and it couldn't be terrible. It's just like it seems to be that there's a lot of very split opinions here. But it needs to be higher. I know, Amanda, this, this was the show made for you, wasn't it? Just like uh, Song of the Sea Snake was for Jaded Redhead. But again, this might be part of the reason Blood Moon never made it to air. It's just like maybe they started doing polling on it and they found like among a very on a specific audience, they were really excited for it. But among others, they were just like, ah, who cares? OK, we're going to keep that there. This is an asterisk on Blood Moon. It could be up here. <laughs> and for a lot of people, it is. This is what they wanted to see. That's where we're keeping it. All right. So I'm just going to go ahead and put this one up here. We all know it's true. Duncan Egg is S tier. I don't care what you say. He goes up on. He, he belongs off the chart. Duncan Egg is the best. We all know it. This is the show everyone wants. Duncan Egg S tier. Everyone knows it. Don't lie to me. Put those votes in the chat or else you're banned. Not only from here. I'll find you on Reddit. I'm just kidding. I can't find you on Reddit. I don't care that much. <laughs> but obviously, uh, Duncan Egg, it... um. My favorite stories from the Song of Ice and Fire itself. Um, the, I would rather him finish this series than the Winds Winter Dream of Spring at this point. I love Duncan Egg. I think it's really, really good. It has a really great hook to it. It would make a great TV show. It's got, it's very, very character focused. It's, it's got basically all the things you want, especially if you love like Brienne's chapters or you love Sandor with Arya or you love uh, Bran traveling. It's, it's like a distillation of a very specific but very, a part of A Song of Ice and Fire that George is so good at writing, especially that Duncan Egg themselves are just like functionally awesome characters. And it and it's one of those things where it starts off being like a simple grounded story and builds towards something interesting, because obviously this is where Darren the Drunkard is. This is where we learn about Egg becoming king. We meet Bloodraven in the show. It would have Bloodraven. Maybe she or a sea star. We'd be able to see a lot more magic from Bloodraven. Um and if it ever made it to the end, you get to see Summer Hall. You get to see the Laughing Storm Rebellion. There's so much good things. And also you get to see how stark in this one. She Wolves of Winterfell. Hello. Get to see another. This is the only one that prom that promises to have any like significant amount of House Stark in it. It needs to be a live action show with Harry Lloyd doing the voiceovers. Oh, that wouldn't be bad. That'd be kind of cool. Amanda's uh, saying that she would <laughs> house the dragon goes to S tier with 30 foot shadow babies. Fair enough. Um, young Nan. Yeah. Young Nan hooking up with Dunk. Hello. I, th I, I personally think um, that a Duncan egg TV show would have the highest potential for like not only a great show, but a long running show as you follow Duncan egg. If they got the casting right, if they got the writing correct, it's it's only getting started. And that's I think that's one of the best parts about it. Plus Rohan Weber. F's in chat for Rohan Weber and whatever happened to her in uh, House Lannister. Um, Blackfires. And, oh, that's true. There's also Blackfires. Blackfires and Duncan Egg. Um, at some point, you have to figure Bitter Shield would show up. Um, you get to see John the Fiddler trying to mount Dunk thick as a castle wall, doing some fancy fiddling. And you get to see, um, you get a lot of the things that would probably be good about Flea Bottom, but you get to put it in Duncan Egg. 
because obviously Dunk is a commoner and you spend most of the series uh, until Egg becomes king, basically, with him and Egg traveling around like common folk. Uh, yeah, that's a good point about uh, Sasa, but I mean, you probably have to recast it anyway. Or you just jump the time frames quite a bit. You can fix that kind of evilly, easily. Summer Hall tragedy so bad, me too. Summer Hall would be great. I mean, I want to see George write it, but I think this could be a really, really good show. Dunk and Egg above S tier. I agree. All right. So I think this is where we're settling. So S tier on its own, Dunkin' Egg. Obviously, Dunkin' Egg. Um, based on the voting between A and S tier, House of the Dragon, the one that's actually coming true, the one we know for sure is a real show that's going to be coming out. But they, I think they're filming. I don't know if they're filming, but they, they're doing a lot of the casting. Um, very busy with the writing, too. Uh, let's see here. On A tier, we have 10,000 Ships, the Nymeria of uh, Roinar, of the Roin story, along with Song of the Sea Snake, Corlys for Lauren. Woo, woo, woo. Love Corlys. I think that could be a really good show. I think both of these could be really good. Uh, B tier, Bobby's Rebellion. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of, uh, a lot of hype for this one. <laughs> maybe after Game of Thrones season eight. Am I, maybe this one would be higher had, um, more people liked the end of the main series. Uh, C tier, we got Blood Moon, but this one is, uh, this one could go high and low. There's, there's basically, weirdly enough, I don't think many people like voted for it in this frame, but they either voted like it was going to be terrible or they were going to love it. So kind of a C tier for Blood Moon, a very, um, polarizing show. And then F tier, F for Flea Bottom, who the hell knows? Um, I don't, I don't know. So there we go. I think that's it. Uh, <laughs> we did it, guys. We did a tier ranking. I'll put this on Twitter. Maybe there's a way I can put it on um, so that you guys can fill out your own. I'll see if I can figure that out um, as I get ready to watch Rito Westeros. Hide the display capture. There we go. <gasps> Back. Back with the Ospawfels. So um, thank you guys so much for hanging out with me this afternoon. Uh, I won't be back next week. I'll be back the week after. I have to work this coming weekend. So you get a break from the Quarren streams. <laughs> um, upcoming this week, I'm going to I have um, the Lady Stoneheart video recorded along with the quotes. Christy of Old Stone's moderator in the chat. She provided the quote audio for it. So that's really exciting to see. Um, so that should be coming out then. I'm, I'm also going to be working on my super, super secret project. I got something special. I got something real special for you guys. It's going to be exciting. Somebody asked a question about it earlier in the stream. See if you can figure out which one it was. Um, as always, if you want to support me, um, patreon.com slash Joe Magician, where you get access to um, content early, you get access to the patron slack where a lot of these questions actually came from. Uh, you get access to patron only episodes. The most recent one was Sand Kings as well as, um, Meat House Man. Oh, Meat House Man, but Sand Kings is great. Great story. Really fun, um, analyzing it. Um, let's see here. Make sure you like, subscribe, hit the bell button for notifications when I go live or when new videos are uploaded. Do all the things like share, um, Let's see here. What should we have you do to leave a comment? Um, tell me what you think about these rankings. Uh, I'll put them back up on the screen real briefly. Take a screenshot or something. Tell me you agree, disagree, which ones you think should be higher or lower. Put that in the, in the comments on the rewatch. Um, if you're listening to this on the podcast version, I'll put a, <laughs> I'll put a, a screenshot in the description so you guys can see it. Uh, make sure you leave a rating or a review if you could, especially on Apple podcasts. It really help out with helping people enjoy the channel. Uh, it's four o'clock, four ten now. So in fifty minutes, head on over to Radio Westeros. They'll be talking with Brendan Beefish about Aegon the Sixth. I'm sure that will be a 
John Connington, Aegon, Blackfire, Bluffest, and Jeff's is going to go off. It's one of his favorite subjects uh, with his Blood of the Conqueror series. And then tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'll be appearing on radio on, oh my God, the other one, History of Westeros, uh, talking about uh, the Victorian Winds of Winter sample chapter. Make sure you check it out. Uh, I'll put a link in the description as well. I will see you guys then.